Welcome to B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper, brought to you by True. For too long, B2B has lacked creativity and inspiration, leading to alarming declines in effectiveness and marketing departments being slowly devalued more and more within their organizations. We're here to change that by getting under the skin of what it really means to be a highly effective B2B marketer. We'll be speaking to some of the brightest minds in the industry to discuss what they're doing to be a bit more, well, Don Draper. And now, here's your host, Stuart Black. Joining us today on B2B Marketing Needs Don Draper is Max Kahn, Head of Growth for SAP.io. He's helping to scale SAP's startup partner ecosystem to make connections between startups and enterprise customers and expand into new markets across the Americas, Europe, Middle East, and Asia. So Max Khan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. First off then, what does being a bit more Don Draper mean to you? Sure. So let me first say that Don's genius is you know, no excuse for some of his questionable behavior, um, but I am a huge believer in the notion of taking risks. Um, and telling bold stories that push boundaries. Um, and I think that era in advertising really captured um, some of the beautiful simplicity that I'd love to see come back today. For sure, absolutely. So SAP is one of the largest software companies in the world, but some might be surprised to hear they're heavily invested in helping startups scale their businesses and become successful. Can you give us an overview of the types of companies in your portfolio and your approach to driving B2B growth for them? Absolutely. So SAPIO helps founders start up and scale their relationship with with SAP. And we look for companies that are in the enterprise software space, um, are early stage, generally between seed and series C, um, and have a strategic alignment to one of SAP's core product portfolio areas. And so for those that don't know, SAP is a market leader in enterprise resource planning, supply chain management, human experience management, and customer experience. And so what we do is look for startups that can help our customers extend the value of their investment in their existing SAP portfolio by adding in new features and extensions. Hmm. Now, the growth strategy for a startup can be very different to that of an established company like SAP. At what stage in their growth do you start thinking about brand building strategies as opposed to demand gen? I work with a lot of early stage founders, and I believe that brand is important from day one. Um, of founding a company. When you're raising capital off of a pitch deck, brand is honestly the only thing that differentiates you from other people. And so it's all about how you position yourself as a founder, how you position your idea, and how it resonates with investors. Of course, once you get that initial investment and build out a product, you then move into that demand gen stage where you are looking for early stage adopters and customers for your product. But at the same time, brand still carries through at that stage uh, because people are looking for things that make sense to them, that resonate with the way that they want to see their business moving forward. The other important part with brand for early stage startups is actually on the employer brand side. And especially in today's market, jobs are so competitive. People are jumping between companies left and right. And employer brands play a huge role in helping ensure that potential employees feel you know, a value alignment with the company that they're going to be spending the majority of their day with. And you've got a design background, so you appreciate the way things, how things look can affect a brand's message. Can you talk about the role design and creativity play in brand growth for you? Sure. So my background is actually at the intersection of, of graphic design and cognitive psych, and I had spent a ton of time 
looking at how design influences decision making. And there was one study from, from the Design Value Index a few years ago um, that compared design-centered organizations to the S&P 500 over a 10-year period. Um, and what they discovered was that design-centered companies performed 228% better than their competition over that 10-year period. Wow. And you know, for me, what that shows is that design you know, is not a luxury for a brand. It really has a, a deep ability to act as a catalyst for change and also increase the likelihood for the realization of desired outcomes that companies are trying to drive. There are thousands of cognitive biases swimming around. Everybody's brains were being bombarded with messages left and right all day long. And anything that you can do as an advertiser and, and brand leader to lower that cognitive load, right, of how hard somebody has to work to understand what you're trying to get across to them, you know, the better. And I think brands that have the ability to leverage storytelling, simplify their messaging, and create a, a community um, are extremely successful at, at being able to you know, capture the market. Can you give us an example of a situation where design helps boost the likability of what you're offering? Absolutely. So there are products that we use every day that are either frustrating or delightful, right? And so for me, you're either driving towards an outcome of improving somebody's experience or or reinforcing a, a negative perception or behavior. Today, especially within the enterprise software space, of course there's brand perception that happens, you know, on a website from an account executive at an event or an experience. But if you are using the software that you're purchasing, you're sitting inside of that product all day long, right? Building habits over time. And the brand needs to carry from, you know, from the billboard to the dashboard. Um, inside of that platform itself. And so for me, one of the products that I love is SAP Concur, right, which we use for for expense management. And something that you know works great is Concur is integrated with my with my credit cards. Right. And so anytime I have a new expense, it pops up automatically, makes my life, you know, easier. And every time that there's some sort of delightful experience inside of your product experience, the user's perception is changing of that brand. And there is nothing, you know, that a you know, a billboard or an endorsement or a sponsorship could do to change a positive experience on on the product side. And what about outside SAP? What's a good example of a design interface that you like? I love Airtable. Um, so they Airtable is a startup that is basically kind of an intersection between a spreadsheet and a relational database. And Airtable's product is extremely intuitive. They basically created a, a relational interactive version of a spreadsheet, but they took a design-led approach towards building their product. And so from signing up on their website, I can understand what they do. They've built an incredible community of, um, of examples and, and leaders from different companies coming together to think about the future um, you know, of how information and, and business processes run. And they you know, have a product that, that delights me on a daily basis. And and how do you how do you feed your interest in design so that you're always fresh? Do you do you visit art galleries or wh- where do you where do you go for your ideas? I spend a lot of my time reading books. Um, you can see the bookcase behind me has a lot of uh, design agency books. I'd say Instagram is definitely um, one of the places where a lot of designers are hanging out nowadays. Um, so I love to see what new companies are pushing out. Um, in addition to exploring a lot of work coming from um, startups outside of of the U.S. I think U.S.-based companies can be subject to a lot of groupthink when it comes to to brand. 
Um, and so for me, I, I love looking at our startups and kind of understanding how do people communicate in, you know, in Japan, in Singapore, in China, uh, to be able to influence some of my my personal design decisions. There's there's a lot to learn. Now, you said on our last call that the perception of a brand is always going to be there, whether it's actively managed or not. Uh, can, can you unpack that a little bit? What did you mean by that? Absolutely. So this is one I feel very strongly about. And I am a huge believer that that facts never speak for themselves. And in the software world, you know, and especially technical leaders are obsessed with, you know, data, 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 here are the facts, show me the numbers, show me the open rates, you know, click through rates. And, you know, if the world was actually 100% data driven, there would be no need for for executive teams, right? The main part of executive jobs, right, is balancing the tension between, you know, the hundreds of inputs and, and biases that they're they're looking at all day long. Um, so for me, creative expression and, and creativity is about the bridge between all of the facts, right? And every brand needs to actively manage that bridge. And if you don't, what you end up doing is leaving your reputation up to somebody else's imagination. And in those cases, that's when I get the phone call, you know, someone saying, oh, that's not who we are, or that's not what I meant. And, you know, I actually think that it was uh, Don Draper who, who once said, right, if, if you don't like what's being said, then change the conversation, right? And if leaders don't control the conversation um, and, and don't work on their narrative, then, you know, you're leaving it to somebody else's imagination, which is normally not what, what somebody wants. Well, talking about changing the conversation, let's talk about SAP a little bit more. You're building a sub-brand within SAP to attract early-stage founders. So how do you stay true to the SAP brand and legacy while still showing that SAP.io is new and different? Sure. So when we launched IO, it was created as a, you know, as a sub-brand of SAP in order to interact with a new target audience. So historically, SAP didn't really have strong relationships with, with startups in the VC world um, and really sat you know, in its own building. What we've, we've done with SAPIO is launch a new brand that has a much more modern flair um, on, the, on the design side and also on the messaging side. And so what we did was look at what are the elements of SAP's brand that are either underutilized or not utilized at all at the master brand level, but still look and feel like they can be connected back um, to SAP. So for example, I looked at typography. Um, so SAP has you know, a corporate font. It uses one weight in its logo and all of its sub-brand logos for products like you know, SAP Concur and SAP Success Factors. For us, we said, okay, what if we took the lightest weight um, from, the, from the typeface and use that for our logo? Um, color palette. Right. We did not create a new color palette, but we looked at you know, the existing balance of how SAP was leveraging color at the time. And we said, all right, we're not going to pick the primary color uh, for SAP, which was that, that light blue. And instead, we're going to use the accent color of the SAP gold as our primary um, for this sub-brand. And so when you look at things like you know, marketing collateral, everything flows. The type is the same. The colors are the same. Um, but we're pushing it in a direction that might resonate better with with a, a more progressive audience even things like gradients right we create the gradients with the ingredients that come from a global brand team from sap but would a global team put a gradient on you know the homepage of our website not yet um, interestingly enough a lot of the decisions that we made for for sapio trickled back up into the global brand for sap and so while gradients were big for us back in 2018 now the global sap brand has you know started adopting some of those 
um, more modern design flares that we chose for for SAPIO. Mm, so you've got space to push, but how far can you actually push? And what are the risks if you push a little too far? So we push as far as we can until we get to a place where we feel that we're achieving the outcomes that we're looking for. So for me, design is always a means to an end, right? So for SAPIO, our goal is to bring new startups into the ecosystem and to discover SAP customers that we can introduce them to in order to adopt their solutions. So if we are bringing in good quality startups, the brand resonates with them. I've known that I've achieved my job and then I can kind of hit pause when it comes to pushing. The second that we start to see ourselves falling into you know, what I call the easier track of design, um, you know, leaning on heavily on templates and not thinking differently, then we go back and say, okay, like, let's start pushing again. The risk of pushing too far when it comes to managing a, a large brand that's existed for actually 50 years, like SAP, is it becomes unrecognizable. And mm. with startups and the VC world, we are investing early in these relationships because we see the art of the possible and potential for these to be SAP's biggest partners in the next you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And over time, eventually, my hope is that you know, companies grow from pre-seed to seed to becoming you know, a, a unicorn valued at over a billion dollars. And then, of course, they're going to interact with people from you know, Big Blue SAP. And if that interaction with the core SAP employees is wildly different than the interaction they had with I.O., it leads towards misperceptions of our brand. Um, and you have to work on rebuilding the trust with that audience. And so for me, I never want to stray too far where it becomes unrecognizable because then you know, all of the work that we've done to, to modernize the brand and build a new audience uh, hasn't been accomplished. And uh, have there been times where you've crossed the line and had to pull back and rethink? I don't think so. I don't think we've hit it yet. We've come close. Um, okay, keep pushing, keep pushing. <laughs> um, to some, there is a perception that SAP's brand is traditional, perhaps slow-moving tech. Uh, what are you doing then to change the perception of the SAP brand in general? So for us, we're always looking to change the perception that, that SAP is a partner-friendly and founder-friendly company. We're the largest European software company out there. And a lot of times people don't even realize you know, that we're not a US-based company. What comes along with that you know, are complexities of European leadership structures, um, different ways that we, we approach you know, data. Um, from my point of view, it's a, definitely a more ethically driven culture than, than some of our um, you know, colleagues in, in the US. But with startups, we don't have that strong sort of brand perception from the beginning because we are 100% B2B. Um, a lot of the other corporate startup accelerator programs are coming from companies like, um, you know, Alphabet or Microsoft, where they have um, consumer arms as well. And so a lot of their brand perception is shaped by your experience with the product like, you know, Gmail um, versus, you know, Google Cloud. Um, so for us, we're both, you know, changing the perception or just knowledge that SAP exists as a whole. Um, and then for those that are familiar with us, changing their perception that we are partner friendly. Um, and I'd say this varies a lot depending on region. So when we first launched IO, we were in the US and Germany, and we needed to take two totally different approaches towards launching our brand. Because in Germany, you know, SAP is the golden child of that country, um, right? It's the largest software company in Europe. Everybody wants to work either for SAP or with SAP. We're in the US, you go to the Silicon Valley, 
there are hundreds of companies competing with SAP. There's different mindshare when it comes to what founders are thinking about when it comes to growing their company. And so it's one thing, you know, to change someone's perception or, or just let them, you know, become aware of what you're doing. It's another thing to introduce the brand um, to a group of people that historically haven't interacted with it because they they weren't CIOs of uh, enterprise companies. Mm. And are there other B2B brands that have inspired you in the way that they've experimented or perhaps reinvented themselves, something that you've you've taken inspiration from? I am a huge fan of what ServiceNow has been able to do um, in terms of their messaging. Um, I think simplifying the way that businesses work for people is incredibly important, and they've done a wonderful job at, at being able to communicate that directly to, to end users. Um, another one that, that I love is, is Qualtrics. Um, and selfishly, I'll disclose SAP um, had acquired Qualtrics, um, and then they, then they spun out afterwards. But the notion of you know, businesses having feelings, right, and the future of business is all about human emotion, is something that I can completely get on board with and I think resonates a lot with our customers. Now, purpose has been a red thread through the SAP story, and there's a lot that SAP does that perhaps is not so well known from a purpose perspective. So what's your North Star when it comes to that? So at SAP, our purpose and you know our North Star is to help the world run better and improve people's lives. And in order to help the world run at its best, we need partners from all corners of this planet and all lived experiences to push innovation forward. For me, I always give the example that you know if all software was developed by by straight you know cisgendered white guys, like we'd be in a really boring world, right? Mm. And not everyone's problems would be solved. And so one of the things that you know we've done at SAPIO is commit to investing in underrepresented founders um, and and female founders. And mm-hmm. you know for us, what that's been able to empower us to do is build an ecosystem of startups solving big problems solving a diverse set of problems that can help our customers move forward. And how difficult is it to communicate the story that you're talking about, uh, these, uh, in fact, this investment in underrepresented uh, founders and women? So we spend a lot of our time focused on, on doing the work instead of talking about it. And it stems from this belief that we'd much rather help underrepresented founders close you know, large-scale software deals with SAP's customers as opposed to putting them on a stage and celebrating something that they already know about themselves. Um, that being said, I have seen a, a large amount of our, our competitors and others in the space also making investments in underrepresented founders. And if that's coming from a place of, you know, trying to do it for you know a PR campaign or a website, it's fine as well because in my mind, the more checks that get written, uh, the more impact we have. Uh, on the the diversity of our ecosystem, and so I'm happy to to see it. That being said, talking about you know investments in in purpose is important because it inspires and empowers others to to do so as well. And so something that we've done on the sustainability side is launch a new campaign, positioning our startups that help customers achieve sustainable outcomes, and being able to um, help accelerate go to market that way. Um, and so, you know, on our website, we have a, uh, a landing page for for that campaign. Some say we don't need to be creative in a world where we can individually target people based on their demographics and behavior. What's your view of that? I totally disagree. Um, 
think it was like Abraham Lincoln who said that with you know public opinion on your side, nothing can fail. And I, I believe in similar to Don Draper, right? People want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And yes, you know, if you're able to solve for the audience of one, congratulations, you've achieved a scientific marketing success. Um, but it's not going to help achieve your business outcomes. Um, I believe extremely strongly in that. Um, the notion of community is incredibly important, especially in a world of COVID where people are sitting at home. Um, finding ways creatively to bring folks together um, has never been more important than before. That being said, I do think there's a role for targeting when it comes to larger campaigns. Um, and so Spotify is one of the companies, I think, that does this really well, right? Where they have a Spotify wrapped campaign that's published every single year. They have billboards on every corner. They have a lot of out of home happening. And the campaign is also dovetailed with a personalized content for all of their users at scale. And so I get my personalized summary of my music choices. You know, you were in the top 1% of Coldplay fans this year. But what I also know is then all of a sudden, my friends and I are comparing right, our results from that Spotify rap campaign together. We're talking about it. I'm seeing celebrities' results on billboards and, and, and paid ads. And it's reinforcing a sense of greater community that makes people want to become part of something bigger than themselves. And when you're only focusing on this one-to-one approach, um, I don't think that you're going to achieve the same outcomes, right? It's kind of like, you know, imagine a playground with only one swing on it. Like that's, that's really boring. <laughs> when it comes to big B2B decisions, what's the importance of emotional messaging versus rational messaging? So I think it comes down to a balance and, and timing. At SAP, we sell extremely expensive software that power some of the world's most powerful businesses. And we always are starting with having large conversations around the emotional side when it comes to um, C-suite executives. So for example, on the HR side um, with, with human capital management, we're talking about the future of work, right? Do companies want to put their employees at the heart of everything that they do? Um, do they believe that the future is about people and, and putting humans first? And when you can get an answer to a question like that and a company decides, yes, like I want to be a human-centric organization, I want to put my people first, I want to be the company that people choose to work for, then we can come in with all of the rational messaging around, you know, okay, here's how the platform works, here's how it makes the life of your recruiters easier, um, here are the processes that you can help flow, um, et cetera. But what needs to happen at the top are those big decisions around strategy of are we embracing this approach towards seeing the world and running our business um, or not? And with that, we get to our lightning round. So I'm going to throw some quick questions at you, and I just want you to respond from the gut uh, and choose from one of the two options I throw at you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, advertising or ABM? Advertising. Logic or magic? Oh, this is the tough one. I'm going to go with magic. Brand building or lead generation? Brand building. And what's the problem with B2B right now? I think short-term mindset would be, be my choice. Okay. And how would Don Draper fix the problem? Influence um, and quick wins. Okay. And then if you could tell all CEOs to read one book, what would that be? Say designing brand identity by Alina Wheeler. Okay, and one final question: What's your favorite Don Draper moment or quotation? 
So my favorite Don Draper quote would be that success comes from standing out, not fitting in. Good one. And that leaves us just to say thank you for such an insightful and fun chat, Max Khan. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm Stuart Black, and I'll see you all next time on B2B Needs Don Draper.